Welcome to the second episode of Broadway Radio's show, Tell Me More. I'm your host, Matt Tiamanini. On Tell Me More, we strive to talk about projects and topics that don't often get covered in depth on theater podcasts. On today's episode, we will chat with the incredibly talented and unusually well-rounded actor and comic book creator, yes, you heard me correctly, Matt Doyle. In addition to having seen him in the Broadway productions of Spring Awakening, Bye Bye Birdie, The Book of Mormon, and War Horse, you can currently catch him performing up close and personal as Antony in the off-Broadway revival of Sweeney Todd, The Demon Barber of Fleet Street, currently playing at the Barrow Street Theater. However, what we spend most of our time discussing today is how he and his sitcom star best friend Beth Bears created their web-based comic book, Dents, how these lifelong friends collaborate while living on opposite sides of the country, and how the post-apocalyptic world that they created more than a year ago has taken on eerie new meaning in the political environment in which we now find ourselves. Dents is set 94 years in the future following a catastrophic plague that destroyed much of the Earth's population. After a vaccination is developed, there is a massive increase in the birth of identical twins possessing extraordinary powers, known in society as dents, short for identicals. The power that these dents have scares the people who have begun to reorganize society, so a purge of all dents is ordered. The comic follows one particular teenage dent named Eleanor, who lived her life not knowing that she had a twin sister, until her powers all of a sudden appeared in the most inopportune of ways. Eleanor must then escape and find the other outcasts that will become her family. Whether or not you are a comic book fan, the story is powerful and funny and full of resonance on so many different levels, not to mention that it features incredible artwork. To open the interview, I asked Matt if he had been a comic book fan growing up. I grew up as a huge comic book nerd, and Beth had to kind of uh, deal with that and listen to that as we uh, became fast friends through theater. And um, and then at one point, she just kind of said, all right, you know, <laughs> we have similar interests. What What is it that you like so much about comic books? And I started sharing a lot of them with her and uh, and got her hooked on a lot of comic books as well. E- even later on, um, you know, in recent years before we wrote this comic book together, she would kind of send me a text and say, is there something that I should be reading right now that you're reading? And I'd send it along. And she got really into it, and uh, yeah, I've I've always been a big comic book nerd. I'm a big Marvel guy. Um, I uh, there's there's things from DC that I like, but uh, I will say that I'm a big Marvel fan myself. Grew up obsessed with X Men, and I just I love the Marvel universe. I think it's so weird and wonderful and creative, and uh, the characters are so human and and interesting. So at one point about. Three years back, Beth was in town visiting New York City, and I had a strange dream about identical twins with superpowers and wrote some ideas down and and went to lunch with her and told her about it and told her about this idea. And she kind of just responded, well, you should write it down and maybe we can do something with it one day. You never know. And we wrote a few ideas down together and then about Two years later, she was approached by a comic book company to do her own comic book, um, Webtoon, which is this massive website in Korea. It's the number one website out there that launched here just a few years ago, and they were looking for new content. And Beth said, I don't have anything, but my best friend does. So we sent it along, and then we got the deal and formed this world together and just started writing this 
this comic book together. That seems like just such crazy kismet that it all kind of just yeah. fit together organically. And I want to get back to that story about how it all started. But you mentioned that you were a huge X-Men fan and just kind of seeing how the world of dense kind of created yeah. and merged together. It's not the same necessarily, but there are definitely influences. I, you can see kind of the oh, tons. the outsiders forming the community of their own and, and, you know, kind of a family of their own. You know, obviously the X-Men connection is there. Are there other things that you drew specifically from the comic book world that maybe if it's not direct, maybe indirect is in there too? Oh, yeah. Direct and indirect. We celebrate our influences for sure. <laughs> and um, it, in the same way that we, you know, we kind of like to think of it as kind of a Stranger Things approach is like, is knowing oh, yeah. what your influences are and celebrating them and then spinning an original story off of it. We, I really, really wanted to make sure that we kind of put a spin on the Saturday morning cartoon um, that I grew up with and always was a little frustrated with the fact that it wasn't able to kind of grow up with me that I at one point grew past it. So we wanted to create that same Saturday morning cartoon environment and vibe, but with a much more adult tone. And so in there, we, we got our influence for the, the main powers um, from Captain Planet, which, oh, which yes. sounds hysterical now, but that was definitely what we wanted to tie into it. Everybody thinks that we drew from Avatar, but I'm actually a little too old from Av- for Avatar. Not the, the movie, but the, uh, the cartoon that was on Nickelodeon. Yeah, the, the last airbender thing. Yeah, I, I was past that, and everybody's writing these comments saying, this is like Avatar. I was like, I actually feel old right now. But um, yeah, so for me, it was <laughs> Captain Planet. And then, um, and then there's, of course, the Star Wars influences are kind of all over the place in there in terms of the tech and the world and everything. And, and that's just my send-up because, boy, was I addicted to Star Wars growing up. And uh, so, yeah, we just, when we have an influence and we feel like, oh, that could be like that, we definitely aren't really afraid of embracing it. You know, I think it's important when you're creating something to to celebrate those things rather than work so hard to disguise the fact that you were influenced or, or you know, inspired to do something. Yeah, and you mentioned the, the Captain Planet, you know, connection, and obviously with the, the water and the earth and all the different, you know, yeah. elements, those things are there. But there's also a fairly overt kind of references to global warming and and things like that yep. it built into the world of dense so even beyond kind of the i'm your powers combined kind of thing there's the you know the message that underlies it there too yes absolutely i mean there's just so many socio-political elements that we wanted to put into this comic book as well global warming is a reality and if we were creating a post-apocalyptic world it was one of the first things Beth said to me she was like look if we're putting this in the future and it's it's dealing with an apocalypse and you want to create something like that. I just, I won't create a story that hasn't been like a world that hasn't been affected by global warming. Cause that's our apocalypse that's happening now. And, um, and she was actually the one that found the article on, um, viruses that are getting released from the melting polar ice caps, which is most likely a reality, something that we actually are going to be dealing with. And that's something that we haven't really even talked about is that there is bacteria and viruses and these ice caps that we've never been exposed to. So that was the perfect setup for our apocalypse and, and the plague that hits the world. Yeah, nothing nothing terrifying about that at all. Um, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> well, it, well you, you talk about that, about how she kind of brought the, you know, the, the idea of, of making the post-apocalyptic mm-hmm. world um, global warming. I guess, how did this 
How does the working collaboration work with you two? Obviously, it was born of a dream that you had, and you guys kind of collaborated there, but you are currently living and working in New York. She uh, was living and working in in L.A. How do you guys collaborate on generating new stories and and then sending them back and forth? And then I want to talk about the art because that's great, too, but I'm sure that's a whole nother ball of wax you have to get into. Absolutely. Yeah. So for Beth and I, um, we, we outlined the, the series together. Um, so we did the last season together and we just obviously recently outlined uh, season mm-hmm. two together and we just sit down and we go, we know we have 26 chapters. So we go chapter by chapter and discuss what can happen there. I admit I do the brunt of the storytelling and the, the writing here and I, I write each chapter itself. But it goes right back to Beth before it even goes to our artist to look at it, read it, and add any suggestions. Beth has been hugely useful in, in creating a lot of um, a lot of the characters that were never even in my mind at first. Like Chloe, who's one of our lead characters in there, is kind of the motherly, almost bohemian figure in it, and uh, that was all that was all Beth. And you know, it's just been so wonderful to work with her because. We work really well together. You know, a lot of people say, like, you shouldn't work with your best friend. But Beth and I just kind of spin ideas off of each other. Sometimes I'll go to her with a very simple black and white thing that I, I'm, I'm trying to figure out, and she'll solve it for me or vice versa. She's really added her own uh, touches and personality to the comic as well. And it's kind of created this world that I think if I had done myself would have been much more serious and darker and, you know, something so much more uh, without kind of the heart and humor that it has. And I think what's so great about the comic is that it's representative of our friendship a little bit, is that we kind of bring the best out in each other. Yeah, very good. Yeah, it's been a wonderful part of the writing. Yeah, I guess before you know we get too deep into it, um, and we kind of alluded to it, can you just give the the elevator pitch as to what Dense is about? What is this post-apocalyptic world where we find ourselves in? Yeah, so... Dense is, yes, it's a post-apocalyptic story that in 2111 is where it starts. And it's about a world that's been hit by a plague, and there was a vaccination for this plague. And out of that vaccination came identical twins. And as these twins matured, they began to show their superpowers. Because this world was so, you know, destroyed and trying to repair itself, out of fear, there was a genocide set against these twins, and they were set, shut out of society. So it's all about who these twins are and them trying to kind of find a place in this new world where they aren't welcome at all. And yeah, there's this horrible dictator named Grace Hall who controls this new nation that's been formed called Concord. And yeah, it's a, it's a pretty wild story just about trying to be accepted and also feeling dangerous and volatile yourself and and then dealing with all of these, you know, kind of environmental elements and and political elements as well. We certainly want um, there to be a sense of, uh, of what's going on in our world right now. <laughs> yeah, well, and you mentioned that because, you know, you guys started this, the first season, uh, so to speak, was released, you know, well over a year ago now. And yeah, you, yeah. who could have predicted where we would be 12 months later? And yet, as you go back and read season one going into season two, you start to see yeah. some eerie correlations between what you guys wrote originally as post-apocalyptic and what we're living right now. Yeah, it's certainly uh, been bizarre. I, we finished season one before he was even elected. And obviously, you know, enough had happened where we, we felt like, 
gosh, isn't this, you know, crazy because so much of this is happening in our world right now. But then when he was elected, we actually had started, we're trying to, uh, we're developing an animated series of it right now. And um, that's all I can say. But it's certainly because that will obviously start from the beginning. So it's put such a different spin on everything as we go back and, and look at it and how to tell the story from the beginning. Because that is a reality now. And this comic book that, yes, we have so many fantasy elements, obviously. Identical twins with superpowers. But... Um, also so so scary how a lot of the times you know the the most wild ideas that we come up with we we then just think to ourselves but look at what's happened here that could absolutely happen i remember when we first pitched the idea somebody said to us well there has to be more of a reason for the genocide people don't just start genocide because they're afraid of something and i i remember like just thinking okay, well, that's, we, we should not be working with that person. <laughs> because if they don't believe that, then they're wrong. You yeah, know? That's, that's, that's really yeah. the only reason that people start genocide. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the main reason. Yeah, exactly. It's been, uh, the, the, finding the parallels has been um, really bizarre along the way. Yeah. Well, and one thing that I think is really interesting about this world of, of dense that you created is that the abilities that these people have are, are not just like, they snap their fingers and they they are able to control fire. It, yeah. It's interesting that their abilities are born out of emotion and they have to learn to control yeah. that and they have to learn to focus that. To me, that is such a great metaphor. And I, again, you started this before all of the current you know craziness that's going on in our political world. But it really is a fantastic metaphor for being able to take the anger and the concern you have for the country and being able to focus it on something positive to potentially help yeah. and influence the world around you. And that's the thing is we never want these, um, these twins and, and dense themselves to ever appear like perfect superheroes. We, we want them to be human. And, and so that's why we made sure from the beginning that their powers were related to human emotion. And, you know, it, it adds an extra danger to them because as we all know that sometimes our emotions can get away from ourselves. And, um, yeah. and I, you know, it, it, it helps create the controversy because even with the issues in our, our country right now, there are both sides to every argument, even though I don't agree with, with all the sides <laughs> to the arguments. It, there has to be a reason why Grace would be afraid of, the, the, our dictator would be afraid of these kids, you know, and, and how dangerous they are and how volatile they can be is, is that reason. Yeah, and you open up the first chapter with that, very mm -hmm. explanation. So, I mean, I think it does provide, you know, if not a completely balanced thing, because as you said, a very specific yeah. point of view on this, but it does, you know, lay out the world in which, you know, you can at least understand where this are. And that's why I think some of the characters are, are sympathetic, no matter what sides they're on. And that it's, and what's interesting is yeah. that as you develop through that first season, it's not just an A and B side. There is kind of a C side in there as well. And there's multiple yeah. people trying to, live in this world. So I, I, I'm really kind of fascinated to see where you guys take season two and how it kind of continues to evolve with this. You, you mentioned earlier um, a potential for maybe an animated series, but that kind of brings me back to one of the things I mentioned earlier is, is the art is yeah. just, is fantastic. It's beautiful. It's so evocative. And what I love about the fact that it's, it's web-based is that there's no panels. I mean, it really, everything flows 
from one scene to the next. So first off, tell us about who your artist is and then how you found them and how that collaboration works when you and Beth knock out a story. Do you just send that and say, here, animated, or are you involved in what the final product looks like? Oh, yeah. I mean, literally right before I I called you, I was was sending emails off. So I kind of produce everything as well, um, which is, been uh, such a learning process i mean we we have this deal and we have this you know great budget that we got from webtoon to create this comic and but it was what comic book creators do know what they're doing <laughs> and we didn't <laughs> so we had to kind of start from the basics and find an artist and luckily our editor over at webtoon um, tom akel was was wonderful in helping us uh, find find people. And uh, not only do we have our artist, who's uh, pencils and inks, we also have a colorist, and then we also have a lettering artist as well. So I didn't understand any of that world, even though I, I saw the names on the front of my comics. I, I right. really did not know what it meant to put it all together. And so we reached out to Sid uh, Koshin, who's our, our artist, and he actually lives in India. And, uh, I was, yeah, we were both just really drawn to his art and he was a suggestion that came from Tom because they had worked together before. So we thought, well, this is perfect. We love, we love his work. And so we reached out to him and he was completely game, thought it was fantastic. And we had him on board just like within an email and it was amazing. And to this day, we have still not met in person, but I think I talked to him more than anyone when we're, when we're <laughs> off doing a season together. I mean, just constant back and forth because uh, he's really helped create this world as well. You know, the artist's job is not just drawing literally word for word, everything that I, I put down. He has to fill in the blank and there's a lot of blank from writing to page. You know, you have to think about all the little details in each panel that weren't mentioned. If we're inside of a room, what's going to be on the shelves in that room and this, this and that. And he's, he's just so, so smart and so creative. And sometimes, and I love him for it. Sometimes he'll just read something I wrote and just be like, nope, I'm going to draw it this way instead. (laughs) And then send it back and he'll say, by the way, I changed that. Let me know what you think. And I'm like, Oh, it's better. So we'll have to go with it. <laughs> can you get? Can you give an example of that? Oh, uh, sometimes. Just recently, there's a comic. Uh, there's a chapter that's coming out next week, and uh, it was originally set outside um, in a redwood forest at night. And he drew it and sent it back. And I said, "Why are we in a room in the village during the day?" And he was like, "Oh my gosh." I'm sorry. I uh, I didn't even realize I was doing that. I think I just that was where I thought it should be set in my mind. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, and it works better. And we've been in that damn redwood forest so much. So I think we should just go with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you mentioned the redwood forest and you yeah. and Beth are both from California. And that's yep. where the action all takes place. Well, we were, we thought, okay, so this is a really, really big world. Um, obviously, this new nation of Concord kind of takes up all of North America, uh, all of North America, theoretically. And, uh, and we thought about kind of dispersing it all over North America as much as we could at first, which we've done a little bit. But um, it has to, you know, there has to be a centralized story somewhere. And Beth and I just thought, how could we resist? How cool would it be to just that all of these post-apocalyptic places in, you know, our childhood zone, like right in the middle of Marin. And even if there are places that people don't necessarily recognize, it would be so fun to kind of take 
these old restaurants and these old buildings that we are familiar with and, and, and bring it to a, a very dark and twisted future. Um, but yeah, so, so Sid, Sid's been on board with us from the beginning and, and uh, has, that's actually been a funny part of it as well, sending him these images of, you know, Monterey and, and cities that I know Sid does not know <laughs> and telling him, okay, so recreate that. <laughs> Yeah. Well, as you are going through this process and as you are, you know, writing a comic book, do you find yourself reading more comic books or avoiding them while you're going through the process of working on this one? Um, on the off season, I read as much as I can. And then we just got back into it. And now I can't even possibly think about p picking up a comic book. Uh, it does do so. It's kind of like when you're doing a show. Uh, as sure. much as I love theater, when I'm in the middle of a show, I it's not my desire on my day off to go sit in a theater, you know? Um, so it's just so much work that I think by the end of the week, when all the deadlines are met, you're kind of like, all right, I want to watch a movie now or just get distracted in different ways. I do keep up with comic books during the year. That's for sure. What, during the off season, what was the, the best one that you, that you read off the top of your head? Darth Vader, the new Darth Vader comic from Marvel is fantastic. It's so, so good. And talk about humanizing characters that we've just mm. been taught to kind of despise and think are evil and everything. It's just, it, it's a great, great Star Wars comic. I had a lot of fun with that one. And yeah, I mean, like everyone else, I'm keeping up with Saga, uh, which is just an amazing, amazing comic out there right now that everyone should be reading and is kind of everything that Beth and I aspire to create, I think, with Dense too, this kind of weird and mature world with obviously a lot of wonderful inspirations and yet being completely original. Um, so I would recommend that for anyone because it's fantastic. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm keeping up with other webtoons as well. There's one that people need to read because it's a legendary comic as well. And it's by a girl that works for my favorite website, Jessica Chobot. Um, but it's oh, Firebrand yes. webtoon. And it's really, really fantastic. And um, it's not like the biggest hit on there. And I think that it should have a lot more readers. So I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm representing for Firebrand over here. Very good. Yeah, Jessica from, uh, from Nerdist, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, and uh, and she's the IGN girl as well. She does oh, all yeah. the daily five videos and and whatnot. Yeah, very cool. Well, and it's interesting because you mentioned Saga and Star Wars. Dense kind of is a an amalgamation of both sci-fi and fantasy. So I think those both kind of yes. work well to go into the world that you guys have created with Dense. Yeah, I grew up obsessed with Neil Gaiman, and he was my favorite author, and, and he's kind of every nerd's favorite author, but I think the reason being is because that's exactly what he does. He takes sci-fi elements and fantasy elements, and he just puts them together in the same world and doesn't question it, and it creates just such a wonderful, weird mix of characters and, and elements and environments that I have always been so drawn to, so... That and you know, there's other ideas brewing in my head, and hopefully more comics after Dense or during Dense as well that are kind of in a similar vein. Is they always mix those two things together: it's a sci-fi element and a fantasy element. Speaking of Neil Gaiman, did you check out the American Gods series on Stars? It's so Mall? good! <laughs> it's so good! It's so good, and there's musical theater people in it. <laughs> oh, so many. There's so many. I mean, with Kristen Chenoweth in there, but it it's also I know. It's also very um, 
I mean, it's so beautiful with Brian Fuller and the way he creates pictures. It is. It does look like a comic book mm-hmm. at times. I mean, and he's done that yeah. with Hannibal and with like Pushing Daisies and, and everything. Which I yeah. love because Neil Gaiman's other world is graphic novels and he mm-hmm. embraces them so fully. So I love that it, this series kind of embraces that as well. Yeah, most of the time, at least through the first uh, four or five episodes, I had absolutely no idea what the heck was going on in American Gods, but yeah. Yeah. it was great nonetheless. It was good. So I just want to talk a little bit about the, the characters a little bit more in dense, and then I got a few other things to ask about before I let you go. But um, what's interesting to me is you said that if you had been left to your own devices doing this on your own, the world would be a lot darker, uh, maybe not as much humor and stuff, but Beth kind of balanced that out. I do notice that in this world, it is a fairly female-led world, even though there are male characters, and those are obviously very important between, you know, um, uh, Eleanor and and Jackie, and you mentioned Chloe, and then, um, you know, everybody over at Concord. This is a very female-driven world, so I'm assuming, obviously, it's a that was done on purpose. Um, Did that kind of flow into the political aspect of, of the storytelling as well? Oh, absolutely. Actually, that was, that was, I I can't even believe that I didn't bring that up yet. That was a conversation said from the get go. And I I think it was just a mutual agreement between Beth and I, where I, there were so many characters that I loved growing up that I felt like didn't get enough kind of uh, stage time in my comic books. And often it was the female characters. So I was just so excited. I, I, you know, when we actually got the, the deal and we were writing this, the lead character in the treatment originally was a boy. And I immediately was like, we have to make it a girl, especially if we're doing this together, we have to make it a girl. So we kind of modeled Eleanor off of Beth a little bit. And I thought as we got further along and created more and more characters, I thought, you know what, let's just go all the way. I want every character with, power and influence in this comic book to be a woman. And I, I don't want to comment on that. I just want it to be that way. And, um, and as a result, it's created a really like really, really rich and, and um, fun world to write. And I love these, these women so much. And yeah, we have our, we have male characters in there as well. And they do have power and influence as well. And that that's obviously just formed out of needing to, to write other characters. But uh, the goal from the get go was just like, if we have a villain, let's make it a woman. You know, if we have a role model for Eleanor, let's make it a woman. And yeah, and out of that created Grace and Chloe and all of these wonderful women around her. Yeah, so that was absolutely intentional. And um, since then, it's just been kind of uh, a thrill to get to write these people. And and they're all strong and and have so much depth. And yeah, I I just, I love the the characters so much. Yeah, well, in in addition to that, not only is it a kind of a female-led world, but even from the very beginning and going into even more heavily in season two, you've had... Mm-hmm. LGBT characters in there as well, which is something that yeah. comic books are have kind of adopted a little bit more aggressively than other pop culture. But can you just talk a little bit about the inclusion of those characters throughout the course of the, sure. of the, the two seasons? Yeah, in, in season one, unfortunately, one of the characters kind of got pushed aside only because of how many 
how many chapters we had and how much we realized that we had to fit in into one season. And that was Anne, and she is an LGBTQ character. And she was supposed to have a storyline about finding her girlfriend, who was also taken as well, but it just got... Like, like editing from movies, I guess it got cut a little yeah. bit. But Anne is still around. She's in this season as well. And we have another character that was very, 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 very briefly shown in the middle of season one who said something about his husband being taken away from him. And uh, and so his name is Bill, and he is one of the lead characters out front and center this upcoming season. And I, I've really had a good time writing him. And, uh, yeah, it's just, you know, I'm a, I'm gay (laughs) and as a gay writer, it'd be really hard for me to avoid that. I just, in my world, I wanted to, if, if there was a perfect gay world for me, it would be that people are gay and no one really comments on that. And that's, that is what that is. And so I thought how interesting in this world where there's all this hate and fear if I could just tie in these gay characters and that be not commented on at all, you know, like that they're, they just exist amongst all the other hate and fear. And that is actually something that's been accepted in the future and yeah. embraced in the future to a point that it's not, e- that's not even the weird thing at all. So that, that's something that I, I really want to um, make more present this season um, and not be afraid of doing so. We have readers all over the world. And as a result, there's a lot of different cultures that read this comic book. And it's been interesting throwing out some gay characters before. Some of the comments are not as embracing and as warm as, as I was necessarily hoping. Mm-hmm. And I think that that just goes to show that I absolutely should be writing those characters, you know, and, yeah. um, and bring that perspective into the comic book world. Yeah. Well, and what's, what's interesting to me in the way you guys have done this is not whether it's the global warming stuff or the women in power or, mm-hmm. uh, the gay characters, as you've mentioned, it's done without comment. You know, it's just, it is the yeah. world that they're living in. And, you know, yeah. you know, you mentioned the gay character, he was a bounty hunter, you know, I believe, you know, so it's not like yeah. it's they're they're characters that aren't normally given, to LGBTQ, LGBTQ characters. So I think that's probably yeah. even more powerful and and progressive to just say, yeah, this is it. Uh, we're not going to talk about it. And that's how this world exists. And um, his story will just expand with Heather, who's another really wonderful character and strong woman in our, our world and, and their friendship and just uh, kind of, you know, showing a really wonderful friendship between a, a gay man and a, and a woman throughout this series as well, which is, is important to Beth and I because, that's that's what we are. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, a, a couple other things I want to talk about. Obviously, right now, you mentioned that when you're in a show, you don't like to spend a ton of time going to other shows. You are currently playing Anthony in the incredibly well-received off-Broadway revival of Sweeney Todd, which in and of itself, yeah. that that show could have been a, a yeah. graphic novel if they decided to go that way. But the production I would love in, someone to turn it into a graphic novel. I want seriously. that to happen. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I, I think you probably have a few connections where you could probably talk to the right people to try to make that happen <laughs> I know, that if you wanted to. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. this pr- this production that you're in is this uh, a transfer from from London, where it was done in an actual pie shop over there, and now you guys have turned the Barrow Street Theater into a working pie shop where people are you know sitting at these long benches and eating you know meat pies before the show. 
and it's you know it's been so well received. It's extended, you know, it, you know through the end of the year, and now you guys have Norm Lewis and Carolee Carmelo as Mr. Todd and Mrs. Levitt, and this just seems like such a unique experience that while interactive and immersive theater has become more and more prevalent in in the New York community for a while now, this just seems like something that's very different yeah. and, and very much taken hold with kind of the excitement of the community. Yeah, I mean, it's it's been thrilling. I, I, I think people didn't expect how immersive it actually is. And it's it's very immersive. I mean, if you go there and you're sitting in those main seats, you will most likely be touched. You're, the actors are going to be about a foot in front of you most of the show. And looking into your eyes and speaking those words to you. And I think there's something really, really chilling about that with this story. You know, those, those Stephen Sondheim's lyrics are so brilliant and so piercing and, and so so intelligent that when you actually look into someone's eyes and, and speak them to their face and communicate them and relate them to that person that you're dealing with in the audience, it has a really, really magical and disturbing effect when you're telling this story. And um, I think that's what's been so thrilling about it is that it's not just immersive theater where uh, it's happening around you and you're having fun and ooh, look at this and look at that. I mean, it's really in your face and a, a new way to tell this story. You know, there's no fourth wall. We're breaking the fourth wall with um, one of the most gruesome <laughs> stories I think ever told in musical theater. if not yeah. the most gruesome story. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, and that's, and that's what's interesting is that it seems like there's been an evolution with Sweeney Todd from, you know, the original version that I think a lot of us, you know, kind of saw that tour uh, production with like George yeah. Hearn and Angela Lansbury. And then a decade or so ago, probably a little bit more than that. Now you had the the John Doyle version with Patty LaPone right. and Michael Service, where they're all playing their own instruments. And this seems just like that next step where it's just breaking down every preconceived <laughs> notion about what this show is. I, I don't know where they go from here. Maybe it is just a graphic novel, but it just seems like it's, it's, yeah. it's something that's really interesting and really fascinating to see how this particular story kind of has evolved throughout the generations. Well, it's great, too, because I know that originally the intention before that big, big production was to do something more of a chamber piece. Then, you know, obviously, when it, it was turned into an actual production, it, it became this big, big musical the first time around. But I think what's so wonderful about this production is that you get to hear a lot of the lyrics that you haven't heard before. I mean, those original orchestrations, don't get me wrong, are stunning. It's absolutely stunning. But there is something to be said about really, really stripping it down and just seeing the bare bones of the piece. And boy, does it hold up. I mean, his music is still so lush and beautiful. And it's exciting to be able to hear a lot of lyrics like in the Kiss Me Quartet that that you haven't heard before. Oh, yeah. and. And just getting to see the bare bones of it and seeing maybe a structure to it that you haven't necessarily recognized before. And uh, I always joke with my my producers that the next production is going to be like 50 people and like 50 person orchestra and just so <laughs> massive to wash away all these stripped down productions. <laughs> it would almost have to be at this point. Yeah, I know. Like, where can you go? You can't do it with just two people. Like, you you have to. The next production has to be this like explosive, huge, massive, spectacular. Yeah, that's what I like. That 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 could be interesting. Well, yeah. I, you know, I saw yeah. I saw Norm and Carly on the Today Show or something or whatever, and they said they had to relearn how to act almost because it was so close that you're looking into people's eyes. Have, have you found a little bit of a different? 
process for yourself doing this show than maybe you Definitely. would on a normal proscenium stage? Yeah, I mean, we had a little bit more, or just uh, the, the original cast, we, right. we had a little bit more, like, prep for that, I would say, and so I have so much sympathy and give so many props <laughs> to the new people that came into our cast with the, that second round that came in, right. because... My God, we had a couple more test audiences. We were used to all of the ideas in, in rehearsals, you know, and we had our, you know, producers coming in and sitting there and we got to try it out for the first time, looking into their eyes. Whoa, look, that's scary. Like, I mean, it was just such a <laughs> wild process to kind of like come to grips with the fact that you are so exposed. First of all, there's no mixing. We don't have mics. And the sound is completely unmixed in the theater. And so you have to sound great. And if you don't sound great, oh, well, like that's theater, you know, and, <laughs> and just also just getting used to really looking at people. And at first it was weird and scary. I think the first couple of days and looking someone in the eye was like, oh, I did it. I did it. And I, I held that <laughs> glance for a couple seconds and then I looked away, you know, but now I just, um, I love it. Yeah. I feel powerful doing it because you realize, like, no, they came to see this. <laughs> they paid. They paid for the ticket, <laughs> yeah. and I want to give them that experience. And this is the experience: an actor standing right in front of you, looking down and and uh, screaming Sweeney Todd in your face. So, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I would imagine some of those scenes makes it uh, makes it really uncomfortable for audience members. But that, oh yeah, yeah, that you're right. They they purposely bought that ticket, so they're there for a reason. Yep. At this point, I asked Matt about a potential collaboration between him and Beth. However, he wasn't able to discuss it, so we picked up our conversation here. Now, hopefully, hopefully there will be something soon. Well, yeah, because I don't think people because people know her from you know Two Broke Girls. I mean, she's a singer. I mean, I've I've yeah, like there's that yeah. um, the video of her like an audition for Cosette or something that's kicked around for years. Uh-huh. That when I first saw it, I was yeah. like, oh damn, okay, so this is not just like somebody who's a fan. This is she knows what she's doing. Yeah, we met through theater. We met through musical theater, and we met through uh, going to voice lessons like uh, four times a week together to the same teacher. And so Beth, to me, is a musical theater girl. So it's so funny that she's a sitcom actress now and that people don't really know that she sings because she was always that blonde soprano that I knew growing up, (laughs) you know, my best friend. Yeah, I totally get it. Well, hopefully, I I think yeah. at this point now, I've got to get a concert or something at 54 Below or Birdland yes. or, or yeah. Joe's Pub or something with definitely that. Definitely talking about doing a concert of some sort. That's, that's like the least of it. So, Very yeah. Cool. All right. Well, Matt, thank you so much for taking the time. I, I've loved getting into thank Dance. You. And I'm really excited to see what happens next and uh, continued success for this that's and whatever awesome. comes thank out you. of it. Thank you. That means a lot, man. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the second episode of Tell Me More. My name is Matt Tamanini. You can find me on Twitter at BWWMATT, and you can reach out to Broadway Radio on both Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio. Today's guest, Matt Doyle, can be found on Twitter and Instagram at Matt F. Doyle and on Facebook at Matt Doyle Official. We will have all of that information in the show notes at BroadwayRadio.com, as well as addresses for his website, Dents on Webtoons, and his album Uncontrolled, which was released last year. Tell Me More is produced by me. Special thanks to the man without whom none of Broadway radio is possible, James Marino, as well as Emily McGill and Courtney Greenberg. Our next episode will be out in two weeks when we talk to one of Broadway's brightest stars, 
about one of the theater community's most important annual charity events. Thanks again for listening, and remember, demons will charm you with a smile, always get a second scoop, and when you get the chance, ask people to tell you more.